0: Well, good morning, church. How are we doing today? Good morning. good morning. You guys sound like you're doing pretty good. All right. Um, I'm, like Ila said, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and I'm just really glad to, to be with you this morning. Uh, it's good to be in God's house. It's good to be uh, worshiping him. And I'm, I'm really excited this morning because I have some great news to share before we even get into the, the message this morning. Uh, this last month, we were going through a series on uh, Prayer. And uh, if you might remember the last time I was preaching, uh, the night before, one of our missionaries had uh, texted me and reached out and said, um, you know, we've been working in this village in Chiapas for the last couple years and uh, building a church and equipping some pastors and God's laid it on our heart to move into this village and uh, some people are opposing it. They, they don't trust somebody from the outside, right, rightfully so, moving in. Uh, but God had laid it on these missionaries' hearts to say, you know, we want to live here. We want to be with the people. And, uh, and so they asked that we would pray. And so I got down on my knees, and we all prayed uh, today uh, together. And this is a picture of those missionaries. They're from Laredo, by the way. This is David and Lily Beck, and their kiddos, and they're chur- missionaries that our church supports prayerfully and financially with with the gifts that we give. They're one of the missionaries we support. Well, no coincidence to timing, next time I'm up to preach, last night he sends me an email and says, hey, I want to let you know there was a meeting last night uh, in the village. Everyone met and agreed that they're comfortable with us to move into the village and build a house here. So I just thought that was too cool. Had to share that, how God answered our prayers, and this we had the opportunity to pray with them. And another great update is uh, we also prayed for some empty staff positions that we need uh, for this church. Uh, some people transitioned. Our former kids' ministry director moved to the valley with her husband, and, and another one of our staff members uh, took another position. And so we had a couple roles open in our family ministry. And I'm not going to um, share pictures today, but we're really happy that Gabby Reyes and Ludi Hamilton have accepted those roles and have stepped into the church. So God's <laughs> answered that, that prayer as well. So I'm just happy to see how God uh, obviously proves himself time and time again to be faithful and to be at work uh, amidst us. Well, like Ila said, we're kicking off a new series today called Jesus One-on-One. Just the title kind of gripped me back to my high school. I want to call them glory days. That'd be a popular opinion whether they were or not, but I started thinking of visions of basketball, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're looking in the gospels And uh, we're looking at Jesus when he went one-on-one and people amidst his ministry and his life just came up to him and started asking him questions and how he responded to those questions. And we're going to see together what we can learn from those interactions with Jesus. And so we're going to kick off today in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16, and I want to invite you to turn there. We're going to look at Jesus' conversation uh, with a, a rich wealthy young man who approaches him with some questions. And, and as you're turning there, I do wanna recognize some people that have helped me to understand this passage. And uh, that's Mike Breen and Matt Carter and Matt Blackwell. I'm so blessed by other believers that, that also study and share and write, and I can learn and we can all learn from others. And I just wanna acknowledge uh, their influence on what, what I'm gonna to share today. But secondly, as we open up, I wanna ask us a question. By the way, is anybody still getting used to this? I feel like I'm still getting used to this, this is new. Usually got a table up here, I feel I'm adjusting to this podium but but we'll get used to it, Uh, a little more sturdy, probably a good thing for us. Um, But I wanna ask you guys a question and that question that I wanna ask as we, we dive into this text is, and it may seem a little strange, all right, but I'm just gonna, here it goes. Why do you want more money? why do you want more salary uh, earning from investments otherwise why is it you want more now more now i realize in asking that question i'm kind of making an assumption that you want more but it's probably a fair assumption i think if anyone came to you and said i'd like to pay you more for your job uh, you'd say, yes. None of us would say, no, would you please pay me less? I would like to be paid less. Thank you very much, right? And if someone said, hey, I want to give you a million dollars, you'd say, no, nah, I'm good. Pa- give it to someone else. No, thank you. I think all of us would acknowledge that, yeah, sure, I'll take more. I know I, know I would. Uh, and that's the question I want to ask is, but why? Why is it that we want more cash? Now, maybe it's because of stuff that it can buy, uh, I know during COVID, there was a lot of therapy shopping that went on on Amazon, and maybe you're thinking like, I got a list and I'm ready to burn through that list. So maybe it's just, it's just stuff that you'd love to, to buy on Amazon, or maybe it's for nicer things. Maybe you want to upgrade your house, make some improvements, or just get a whole nicer house all together. You know, uh, maybe it's a nicer car. Maybe it's things that money can buy is why we'd say yes. Uh, or maybe it's for the stuff that money can do. Maybe we would say, yes, we want more because of the security that it might provide for our family or for our future. And maybe if we're honest and we look in our hearts, one of the things we think that it might be able to do for us is make us feel more respected or more important or more powerful or more dateable or more attractive. Lastly, I think one of the reasons we might say yes is sometimes we may feel like, we'd have a little more control in our life. Life feels a little out of control. And if we had a little more money, we'd feel there was more stability and and things would feel more in control. Now, some of you guys, maybe this is your first Sunday back to church since COVID and you're like, really pastor? Talking about money already, right? And I I wanna promise you that I'm speaking about it because I knew that you were here today. Um, (laughs) Just kidding, just kidding. Money, you know, all jokes aside, money is something that can be a delicate, Uh, or a sensitive topic, right? Not one that we readily just open up and talk about, you know, our bank accounts with every old person on the street. You know, it can be a sensitive topic. You know, what's interesting is that the Bible treats it completely differently. It's not an avoided topic. In fact, the Bible speaks about money, wealth, and possessions more than 2,000 times. That's seven times more than it talks about prayer, that's three times more than it talks about love. And in fact, of the parables that Jesus taught in the gospels, 16 of his 38 parables had to do with money, wealth, and possessions. Why? Because it's, it's important to our hearts. Money can do something to us. In of itself, money is, is not moral. Cash is just paper, but it's powerful and it has roots into our heart and God knows that. Jesus sees that, and so he doesn't shy away from it. And so as we open up this passage today, Jesus is going to go straight to this man's heart as he asks him questions in this conversation. And so I want to invite you once again, turn with me, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. There's a lot going on in these verses that we're about to read, uh, and, and we're not going to be able to answer everything that's going to come up, but we're going to try to pour out some core nuggets uh, from what we see in these verses Um, And before we read, I want to invite you, if you would, just pray with me briefly again that God would just turn our hearts to him as we read these verses. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for not only this uh, conversation that you had uh, 2,000 years ago with this man, uh, but your disciples, uh, through your empowerment, recorded it and left it for us to know you, to know your heart, uh, to know what's true. And God, I pray that as we read your words today, that you would speak to my heart first and foremost, and you would speak to all of our hearts. Uh, We invite you here, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. Chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Now let me back up, uh, go back there to verse uh, 16 and 17. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And so the first question that pops up in this conversation with this man and Jesus is, what must I do that's good so that I can have life? He wanted to experience life. And what does jesus do in his response it's interesting jesus responds and says you know why do you ask me about what is good what you can do that is good there's only one that is good now why does jesus do that we know in what the scriptures teach us about what's true romans 3 23 says that all of us are sinful and have fallen short of the perfect glorious standard of God. And there's nothing that we can do that's perfect or righteous or good that would earn our salvation. And so he, he says to him, you know, hey, there's only one that's good, and that's our heavenly father. And so he points that out right off the beginning that our works can't earn that life. Let's continue reading uh, 17b there. If you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Which ones? And Jesus said, "You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not you shall not bow, bear false witness. Honor your mother and your father. And you and sh- you shall love your neighbor as yourself." So Jesus responds to him, "If you would enter life, keep the commandments." Now. I was reading that story, and I think if you've read the Bible for a while, this is a really interesting response that Jesus gives him. Because if someone were to come to you right now and say, "Uh, how can I have eternal life? I think our first response would be like, all right, let me take you to John 3, 16. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. Believe in him. Believe in God, and you will be saved. Or what we say every single Sunday, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith not of yourselves, not by works, so that no one should boast. It's a gift of God, right? I think we would begin to quote those scriptures, you know, if you want eternal life, believe in God. That's, that's what we know the answer of the Bible to be. But it's interesting, Jesus actually tells him, if, if you want life, uh, go and keep the commandments. And he's going back to the original Ten Commandments, that were given to God's people and he's quoting the second half of those commandments, the first half of the commandments, the first four commandments dealt with our relationship with God and the later commandments deal with our relationship with one another. And Jesus is setting him up that there's a correspondence in our beliefs, what we believe in our mind, in our thoughts and what happens inside of our heart in our actions and Jesus knew this man's heart and he was getting right to his heart and, and he was beginning to set him up to say, Okay, if you really love me, your, your actions, your life would show it. And he's lining those things up and he's summarizing those things for him. So let's continue reading verse 20. The young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Now this man, according to what he says, and as far as we know, was a very moral man, of a very righteous life. I tried to do what was right, tried to follow what society said was right. And he said, yeah, I followed those things, Lord. But he still sensed in his heart that something was missing. Something in fulfillment in his life was missing. And so Jesus responds to him and he says, says to him, if you would be perfect, verse 21, go sell what you possess and give to the poor And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this word perfect here, in verse 21, in Greek, is this word teleleos, which means complete. This man sensed he was still lacking. He was trying to be righteous. He was trying to do what was good, but he still felt something lacking in his heart. And Jesus said, if, if you want to be complete, okay, don't just obey those commandments, but I want you to go and sell everything you have and come follow me. And upon hearing that, the man left because he was very wealthy and he went away sad. You see, with this man, he worshiped money more than God when his heart was put to the test maybe his security, maybe his significance, maybe something in his values and in his identity, but something was wrapped up and tied up in his wealth. So Jesus pulls his disciples closer and he continues to explain to them, verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this they were greatly astonished saying, "Who then can be saved?" But Jesus looked at them and said, "With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." So the disciples were astonished in what Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, a sewing needle than it would be for someone to be saved. Why were they so astonished? Because one of the teachings in their day from the religious leaders is that if God loved you, you would be financially blessed. It was one of the things that the Pharisees taught, the religious leaders said, one of the ways, and it's not entirely untrue, right? But they took it to an extreme to say, God loves you, he will shower you with wealth. And so they thought this guy is is a ruler. We learn in Luke also that not only was he a wealthy man, not only was he young, but he also was a ruler, had a position of power. So here's a powerful man in society, a youthful man with his life ahead of him, and a wealthy man seemed to be blessed in every way by God, have all these things that everyone would, would look at and say, that's, that's what you want, right? And, and Jesus says, no, it would be very difficult for someone who has all these things to be saved, someone that's very wealthy to be saved. In fact, it's impossible apart from God. And so his disciples thought, wow, if this guy can't be saved, who can? But Jesus answered so clearly that salvation is a work of God. What appears to be impossible with men is what God delights to do on our behalf. So what can we learn from this passage? I think there's two things we can take away from this encounter. First of all, it's that salvation is only possible through God, not by our works. We cannot do enough good things to earn it. But only because Jesus Christ gave his life for us, dying on the cross in our place and rising to life, can we have salvation. Only because he has the power alone over death. And Jesus made that so clear to this man and to his disciples. But something else we can learn is that salvation doesn't just result in us saying yes to Jesus with our mind, with our thoughts, with our beliefs, but it's also connected to our heart, to what we value, and to our hands, to what we do. And so this man connecting all those things, he walked away sad because he wasn't willing to connect his belief to how he lived. He must have been finding his security or his significance or his worth or something else in the wealth that he had. But salvation, what it results in is a total transformation of who we are in our head, in our heart, in our hands. All these things as a whole line up. When we're saved, we treasure God and we treasure people above everything else. We don't find our significance and our security apart from God, we find them in God. God says, find them in me and use what I give you to help others and I will take care of you. And this man wasn't ready to do that and so as, as i read this passage this week i started thinking to myself okay is god asking everyone to do that well clearly no because you do not see that command written throughout the entire bible that everyone right now all right go home sell the car sell the house sell all your stuff get rid of all of it and uh we're just we're just gonna you know meet up at uh, the parking lot at the mall. And uh, we're just going to go follow Jesus together. We're going to do something with all the money. And, and, it's all, and obviously, God doesn't say to just sell everything. But there's something more that was in, at play here. He knew this man's heart. And once again, he was trying to go to his heart. So I thought about myself, what if Jesus were to ask me that question? How would I respond? And I started thinking about, uh, you know, when I was younger, if I'm being honest, it, it might have seemed a little easier. I didn't have anything right? I'm like, yeah, sell it all. I'm like, yep, I got nothing, God. Perfect. I will get rid of all of it and I will follow you because I don't have anything anyways. You want to take my debt, my school debt? That'd be great, right? But the older that I've gotten and I've been able to, to you know, buy a home and, and, and own a car and, and, and one of my passions the last couple of years is plants. My neighbors are out here. They can testify there is a lot of plants at my house and, and setting up my backyard and investing my time and energy into this home. I don't know that I would be super ready just at the drop of a hat to go, yep, you know, I'm going to walk away from all this. It's taken a lot of time, effort, and, and, and it does provide some sense of security to me and to my family to know that we've saved and we've worked and we've built these things up. And if Jesus just rolled up to me, I, that, that's a tough, that's a tough question. But what about you? How, how would you respond? Would you be willing to sell all if Jesus asked? Why is it that we want more? Is there any shade of the rich young ruler in you? And what is it about the money that you have right now or you don't have that you would be unwilling to part with? You know, I joked about having nothing, but, but it, it, it's not just about having it. It's, it's a heart mindset. You can have nothing and still be trying to find your significance and your security in wealth, in finances. It's not about what you do or don't have, it's about something that's happening inside of our heart and, and, and where we're finding our provision from and our significance and our security. So, another way to ask the same question is right now, where do you find that? Where are you finding your security and your significance? Is it in the person of Christ or is it in wealth? What, what I believe Jesus wants us to know this morning is that there is a great temptation for all of us to find our security. And significance in accomplishments, in our social standing, or in wealth. And if we judge our value through the eyes, affirmations, and attention of others, we will say, we will think, and we will do things to be noticed, to be seen, or to be made much of. But to Jesus, pleasing God above all others was what was important, not pleasing others or having others pleased by him. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Proverbs 4.23 says, "'Above all else, guard your heart, "'for everything you do flows from it.'" And Jesus was going in this passage right to the man's heart. What's your greatest treasure? Who's your Lord? Who are you looking to to provide for you? And he walked away sad because it was in wealth. And so I want to ask us some questions to diagnose our hearts this morning. Just think of these questions and and diagnose your own heart as I read these questions this morning. Are you trusting in money to be your security? Are you believing money will make you more important, more lovable, or more respectable? Are you looking to money to provide what only God can provide for you? Are you able to give your money away sacrificially, but to do so with joy? And lastly, are you looking to money to give you fulfillment, to give you what that man was after, life? Why Why do we need to know that this is a temptation? Because for all of us, myself included, there is a danger of rejecting Christ over something that he can readily provide for us, to hold it so tightly that we reject the one who gives it to us. God promised us in his word to provide for us. And if he blesses us with a lot, he wants us to enjoy it, to save it, to spend it, to share it, and to use it for his glory and to continue to trust upon him to provide. And when times are tight and there's little, he wants us to cry out to him and ask him to provide and to watch his hand as he does. And as he provides, he wants us to do the same. He wants us to delight in it and spend it and use it. And if we can save it and to share it and to give it away, but not to be consumed by money. Why? Because God's after our heart. I love the widow. I love the story of the widow's mite that says she gave more than anyone, right? She wanted to care for others and all she had was equivalent of like a penny to us today. And Jesus says in in, in that story, he says, this woman's gift to others was more than anyone else's here. And we all know it was was nothing because it was all she had and she trusted that God was going to provide for her. And she said, I want to give this away. Money is just money. It's not life. It's not security. It's not identity. It's not value. You're not more if you have more. It's just cash and it's just savings, but life is found in the person of Christ is what the gospels tell us. And so I wanna leave us with what we can do. What what can we do as we diagnose our own hearts this morning? One thing I think we can do is, is we need to really look into our heart and ask those questions and ask, do I find my security? Do I find my dependence in my wealth? Or am I looking to God to provide all things to me? Or am I finding my, my significance through what I have? Or am I find, or how others see me? Or am I finding my significance through Christ? Am I finding my significance in my accomplishments? In what I've accumulated? Or am I finding it in the person of Christ? Another thing we can do is we can test our hearts. We can test our hearts. You know, when we give a gift away, do we give a gift away to others so that they uh, will think highly of us? So that, that they'll be pleased with us, will so be more popular in their eyes? Or do we give gifts to others simply because we love them and we want to bless them? What's our motivation? To look good for others or to look good, not to look good, to be good because God is good to us. Or we can test our hearts with do we regularly, give our our money away do we do we take what he's blessed us with and do we invest in what god treasures god treasures his work God treasures the least of these. God treasures missionaries like the Becks and what they're doing and these people that are living in the mountains of Chiapas that, that have so much less than we do. And what, what I know that David and Lily want to go and do is not to go and bless them with finances. They want to bless them with the truth and the word of God, trusting that as they know God, God will bless them. Money can be such a distraction, but God treasures when we invest in his work, in his church. And so it's, it's not just about asking the question of, oh, do you give? It's so much more than that. But one way we can test our hearts is to ask ourselves, do we give? And why do we give? And who do we give to? And lastly, I think something we can do is we can talk about this. We can talk about this with people that are close to us. We can talk about our giving. I was recently talking with some friends and they were saying, you know, one of the ways that that they make their giving meaningful is every time they give something, they say a prayer a gift to a missionary, to a church. They say a prayer and they say, Lord, thank you for what you provided for us. Use this money, multiply it, bless it, do something good with it. When we have a need in our life, rather than always just trying to figure it out, we can talk as families and say, God, would you show up? Would you provide? I know the very first mission trip, I took a group of students on this church on 15 years ago, Uh, It was a daunting task to me. And one of the things that needed to happen was to provide for all the finances, for the transportation and the housing and the food and the work, the money we needed to build the home we were going to go and build for a family. We needed all this provision. And you can imagine how a youth pastor was at 25 or whatever, and not very organized, right? And so I'm like, Lord, I want to step out in faith, but I need you to show up. And I just started praying. A day later, somebody came up and said, hey, I heard you're going on a trip. Let me know how much it's going to be I want to provide for said, wow, wow. God wants to provide in our lives. We need to look to him. So church, let's remember that money is just money. Let's earn it. Let's spend it freely. Let's save it. Let's give generously. That's all it is. But that life comes by knowing God. Would you pray with me? Lord, my my hope this morning is that none of us leave like the rich young ruler. But that we can leave with joy and confidence in the wealth that you've spent on each one of us to free us from sin, to free us from death. And that as we delight in those riches of what you've poured out on us, that we can go and trust you to provide everything for us. And that enables us to live freely and to to give when it's in our heart and to give when called upon, to trust that you provide for us. Lord, you tell us not to, to lay up treasures on earth, but to lay up treasures in heaven. For where we lay up treasures, that's where our heart is. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us to treasure the one who saved us, to treasure our eternal riches in heaven one day, and to use everything that we have to bring you glory, to trust that you provide for us, God. I pray that my friends here would be encouraged, challenged, convicted. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you you see us, you love us, you care for us. And I pray that you would help all of us to fix our eyes on you that this morning that your holy spirit would work in us to remind us that you are the provider because we cannot do this on our own we can't have that type of a mindset that type of a heart unless you help us and so we look to you to help us have that heart and as as i was speaking as we were reading through your words whatever you were convicting each of us with whatever you were encouraging and lifting each of us up with god i pray that you would send us out confident in your spirit. Lord, I pray that we would not waste the great treasures that you've given us, Father, that we would go out and feel delight to stand firm in you, to know that you'll provide everything we, we need to love you and to serve you and to live in you. We pray all these things as your church, and everyone said amen, amen and amen. It was good to be with you today, church.